Welcome to the Waste Not What Not podcast. I'm Philippa Ross, human ecologist, enthusiologist, author and energy healer, bringing you inspirational interviews, news and tips to rebuild the relationship between people and the planet, the way nature intended, by revitalising our natural resources, minimising waste and maximising human potential. I trust you'll discover seeds of hope for a vibrant future so you can cultivate and transform them to suit your own lifestyle in order for us to collectively create a world where reverence for the diversity of all life is honoured. You'll find all the show notes in the description and lots more about me and my work at philipparos.com. And don't forget, if you like what you hear, be sure to share far and wide. Hello, Wastebusters. Welcome to episode 23. I've had a pretty intense but revelatory week, working into the wee hours of the morning, writing a forward for a book called Magnetism of Antarctica, all about the ships, the crew and the main expedition that my great-great-grandfather made to Antarctica in 1839. Everyone trusted his expertise and he theirs, forging an interdependent relationship, which combined with the curiosity to expand knowledge for himself and future generations, inspired a whole team to wholeheartedly engage in an adventure into the unknown that exceeded all expectations. Something that's missing in today's society that quashes curiosity and conditions us to a life of dependency. Fortunately, there are people globally who are doing things differently and inspiring communities to come together to support one another and protect our precious planet. My guest this week is Tanya McInnes, who's leading a grassroots initiative here in Northland to give people a voice, gathering information on what conservation means to them to find out what they'd like to see implemented, which will then hopefully form part of the strategic plan for the future of the region. An ingenious way to get to the root cause of the problems and spark hope during these difficult times. An infinitely better way, in my humble opinion, to create an economy that protects the well-being of people and the planet. Much better than the recent well-being budget spouted by the New Zealand government, which contained repackaged solutions we've heard a gazillion times before. As the UN patron of the ocean, environmental activist Lewis Pugh says... We need to take radical ownership of our actions and the impact they have on the intricate, interconnected web of life. We've lost 70% of species in the last half century through habitat loss, climate change, human greed and thoughtlessness. Up to a million species are now threatened with extinction. Connection is the very fabric of life. We've lost our way. Society is frayed, dispirited and disconnected. In fact, I'd go as far to say disillusioned, which is profoundly evident in the documentary Human that portrays humanity's quest for meaning and answers to questions like why human beings are destroying the earth, why is there so much hatred and war, and why do some have so much and others have so little. It brought me to tears to hear the heart-wrenching stories of how the traumatic experiences these people have endured at the hands of fellow humans who had total disregard or ignorance of the wake they caused on their egoic trip to rise in the ranks and make money. I'm looking forward to the release of a documentary called The Eerie Situation, all about the personal and economic impact of toxic algal blooms along the Ohio Lake Erie shoreline. The producers bring experts, stakeholders, scientists, legal scholars, farmers, interest groups and politicians together to show how the health of the environment impacts the lives of the local community, 
when climate, political and agricultural interests collide. It'll undoubtedly have some invaluable lessons we can draw on. The word economy relates to systems that manage our resources. We do well to remember that people and our planet are both resources entwined in an interdependent relationship. The pressure on our economy has been pushed to the point of exhaustion and in the quest to make life easier with quick fixes, fast food and shortcuts to expedite the path to success and make money, we've depleted both. Our health is suffering and our mother is telling us she's hurting too. There's flooding in Queensland, a tornado in Indonesia, severe storms in Minnesota, coastal fires in California and a severe sandstorm in Iraq. On a more positive note, I've managed to find an ebook version of a book called The Economy of Human Life that my ancestor was given just before he set sail for Antarctica in 1839. I have no doubt I'll discover some ancient wisdom that I can use in my role as a human ecologist and contribute to building a better relationship between people and the planet. I just need the time to devour it. Now to some news around the globe that clearly demonstrates how far we've gone off course. The New Zealand government are currently wanting to add fluoride to our water and doing nothing to stop or even attempt to regulate the contamination caused by the synthetic nitrate fertilisers that run into our streams and rivers. There's a petition for this in the show notes. Then there's the carcinogenic herbicides used to kill weeds that infiltrates the soil where food is grown for human and animal consumption. The sheer number of chemicals used today is mind-blowing. There are roughly 150,000 substances approved for use here in New Zealand. There's no comprehensive national database on imports, manufacturing or sale, so we have no trace of where it is, how it's being used and by whom. But there is good news and successful campaigns to protect the environment. In England, bottom-tone gear used in the fishing industry has been prohibited in four marine protected areas, thanks to the campaigners who tapped into new powers under the Fisheries Act that's resulted in the first major domestic fisheries legislation in nearly 40 years. And on this side of the world, the Tasmanian Conservation Trust have won a court hearing to protect 1,800 acres of native forest at Anson's Bay from being cleared for cattle grazing. And here in Northland, we're embarking on an exciting journey with a newly formed project led by Tanya McInnes to unite people with their environments and collectively create the changes we want. Listen in to the conversation I had with her and be inspired to join the local movement or create one of your own. Welcome to the show, Tanya. It's an absolute pleasure to have you, particularly because the emphasis of the podcast is about making the most of our natural environment. And did I pronounce that right? Pretty close, yeah. Pretty close. <laughs> it's all about yeah, loving our natural environment. So yeah. perhaps you could pronounce it properly and explain <laughs> what the impetus was for the initiative that you have created. Sure, Philippa. Um, firstly, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's a real pleasure to be here. So Aroha Te Te Taiao, which is, as you said, loving our backyard. The initiative came about, um, I've got a background in local government, and I'm really conscious that a lot of strategy and a lot of planning is done that sometimes lacks really strong community voice. 
Um, I'm also the ex-chair of the Northern Conservation Board who are overseeing this initiative. Um, they're championing it. And the aim was, so it was twofold. First, um, the conservation boards are responsible for what's called the conservation management strategy. And that sets a foundation for how DOC, in effect, rolls out the mahi that they do. And so the conservation boards and DOC are actually separate entities, but we have quite a close working relationship. So this initiative came out of A, ensuring that our conservation strategy actually aligns with community aspirations, and B, also the importance of, I guess if I was going to say in a nutshell, is communities are always here, you know, they're grounded, they're rooted into um, where they live, whereas politicians and, you know, planners and that can come and go a little bit. And so my thinking is, you know, that we need to ensure that communities are supported and uplifted and enabled, really, to drive what is important to them with support from government rather than the other way around. So this is what this is about, is trying to ensure that all strategy has really clear and concise, you know, community aspirations moving forward. For me, community are on the ground and have a real connection to the issues around. And it's always good to have someone steering stuff, but you can be so detached from it that you think you know the problem, but you don't really know the problem. And it's very different in different areas. And the diversity of the community and what's available and everything. So that's a really important thing. So I know you've completed stage one, which was all about identifying the problems. What kind of Mm. feedback have you had? Lots of really important feedback. So um, the survey has outlined to us that 78% of the people that completed the survey said that they are concerned about our future of the backyard. So that's a significantly high number. Um, concerns were around a collecting kai, so being able to collect kai but also grow our own food. Mm-hmm. Um, things around access, so being able to access the environment. Although not high on the development is, um, you know, where we're building and how we're building, but one of the key things is our demise, the demise of our natural environment. And everything from pests to weeds to, um, yeah, as I said, how we develop and grow. And just, yeah, pests are a real big one, big issue. I think one of the big things that with the climate that has um, occurred in the last couple of years, we've had an opportunity to reflect on things and actually see how important our backyard really is because we couldn't mm-hmm. necessarily connect with the community that we had. The environment she sings to us. It's just as humans, our perception of it and our connection to it is so microscopic, yet we know intrinsically that there is a need to be connected and play a part in it. Birdsong was a big thing so many people noticed. So now that you've gathered all this information as the first part of the process, I believe you're out on the road holding workshops to let the community know what you've discovered. And I know that you've done three workshops so far mm-hmm. and you've got three more. So on Wednesday, you've got Whangarei at 5.30 at the Orchard Business Centre. On Friday, you're in my hometown of Waipu at the Presbyterian Church. And on the 30th, you're in the Hokianga. Whereabouts was it? Uh, haven't quite confirmed yet, but it will be at 4.30, likely at the community hall. Fantastic. What is the feedback so far? The feedback's been really good. I, one of the highlights is we went into Bring Bay College last week and uh, worked with some of the students there. And 
you know, if there's any concerns about our future, we're in good hands when you've got those minds. So our focus is on local solutions. So recognising, you know, climate change and recognising some of the big grunty issues. We're actually trying to focus on what we can do locally. So it brings it down a little bit. And I think one of the key things is there's some incredible mahi already going on, you know, with volunteers and and work that's been paid out there. So sometimes it's about other solutions filling the gaps. For example, in Kaio, they estimate 90% of the people doing work in the Nahiri and the forest are volunteers. You know, and that's a little bit scary because, yeah. You know, <laughs> Thank you goodness know, for the volunteers. how sustainable yeah. that is. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, how do we get smarter with the funding that we do have? Apparently, because I don't think the environment's prioritised as much in our, you know, especially central government, we think about economic and we think about social. But as you said earlier, if we're going to think about healing and reconnection, and so many of us are so disconnected from our environment, you know, that is the place to go. It is such an incredibly healing space. You know, if we can prioritise mahi, so working within the environment, not only are we addressing some of the issues, but we're providing a space for people potentially to reconnect, to heal, and they can make some, you know, make some money so they can have a decent lifestyle. You know, there's lots of wins in there. Absolutely. Well, the economy, um, because I'm a great wordsmith, and actually when you break it down, eco is really about the relationship between people and the planet. And so anything that we do the emphasis has been on the commercial side of things and making money, but it's really going back to grassroots and what nature can do if we look at her for inspiration in how we can integrate everything because we are the environment and the environment is a part of who we are. And so I think the huge part of it is recognising our intrinsic connection to it and how important it is and actually as humans, we think we know everything and we're trying to control nature. And having been to Antarctica, it's like a massive wake-up call. Nature is actually in control herself and she is more than capable of existing and probably infinitely better without us humans intervening. And because we have desecrated the planet through our mindless pursuit of money and commodities and things like that, we have no respect for it. And I think it's time to get back to the basics, really, and honour and respect nature for what she does. And that's the big mind shift, isn't it? Because we are in a take, take, take. We see, um, you know, Papatuanuku as a resource. Whereas she's a living, breathing organism. And in fact, we are all made of here. There is so much to be done. And I think that's another thing that's come through for me, or a couple of things, is A, so many of us are so disconnected. And it's not just the earth, you know, the air we breathe, the soils that produce our food, you know, the water that we swim in. Yeah, there's a massive disconnect. And I Mm. think with the initiative, I love the fact that it's so community-based because we're all wanting that sense of being of value and it brings mm. the community together and we all have wisdom and as you said you know the Huey with the Breen Bay College the inspiration from the youngsters who are not so entrenched in the right way or the one and only way they can open our minds to an infinite wealth of possibilities that we perhaps hadn't considered and then you've got the wisdom of the elders and I yeah. think the combination of the two is phenomenal. Indeed. <laughs> I totally agree. Yeah. 
But is it when you bring the vision of the youth and the wisdom of the elders, that's where magic really happens. And I've always had this vision for an intergenerational community as an education basis, as opposed to school per se. Our environment is actually the school. The planet is the school. And she's actually teaching us quite a bit. And we can learn from her if we're not so self-centered to think that we know it all. (laughs) Yes. And there lies the problem. (laughs) (laughs) But the climate is naturally changing and I think the big part is for us to recognize how we have interfered with the natural process and once we kind of cleared up what we can do to preserve her and move on Mm -hmm. so are you waiting for the end of the workshops to put something together to decide what is important So the initiative is very much around listening. So this won't be a report that analyzes what everyone's told us. Basically, we will summarize and hopefully produce it in a way that clearly A, articulates our aspirations, but also our concerns, and then clearly articulates, um, you know, what some of the local solutions are that we can do moving forward. So one of my colleagues sowed a seed with me. So when I rolled this out, it was always around that we would talk about conservation, but we would also talk about land development and we would talk about food, et cetera, et cetera. And he asked me why the conservation board would have a mandate to talk about those broader issues. And I went, oh, good question. Because one of the things is if we think about, you know, Department of Conservation, Department of Environment, local government who do all the resource consents, Actually, we, we've siloed our backyard. So someone over here does that. And there's not an umbrella approach because, you know, we walk on here, we eat from here, we swim in here. We do everything. And yet we have siloed it all up. And I think part of the issue is that actually no one is championing or owning the big picture. Mm. You know, we're all in our little silos. And if you look at the amount of land development, down in Pukekohe is a great example in Kirikiri, where we are ripping out orchards, et cetera, and putting houses on some of our fertile land where we should be building houses on our not so fertile. You know, we're just... We're not thinking smartly. And when you look at COVID and, you know, relying on supermarkets and change and how the issues were with being able to access, you know, food, we shouldn't have that issue. You know, actually, we should be able to, to a point, be able to self-sustain within our communities, you know, at least for the basics of food. So we've sort of really got off course with, you know, consumerism, but also in effect, a little bit of control really on, you know, it's what you said earlier, that this is the pathway we all need to go down. And we've actually completely lost that way of how we feed and look after ourselves and our communities around us. And the big thing is I've I've just done an interview with um, Gledetni about the ocean. And it's exactly what he was saying about how we have compartmentalised everything and forgotten the interconnection of everything and seeing the big picture. We're all very good at doing things with a two or three year focus. The elders, particularly the Māori and all Indigenous cultures, really good at looking at seven generations and the impact it has. And for me, this is the reason for the podcast is bringing the environment together with our own well-being because Mm. they are one and the same thing. And we can no longer compartmentalise it. It's an integral part of us growing together and evolving. Hi, Toko. 
We're on the same page. <laughs> exactly. It's a capitalist society, isn't it? But the future actually lies within the connection of understanding and acting and behaving in a way that respects the environment moving forward. Yeah, totally. It was interesting with these young ones, you know, one of them thanked us for an effect um, teaching them and I'd forgotten, although we'd gone to pull out information from them, as you know, these are young people and they're just getting on with life and hadn't yeah. really considered some of the things we'd shared. And, you know, so simple things like they've committed to doing a monthly um, rubbish pickup around their school and a lot along the beach you know and so we've arranged for the district councils really generously supporting them with that but also talking to them about reusable drinking bottles you know there's so many things you know thinking about what you're buying and the packaging around it there's so many things we can do on an individual basis which you might think but it does contribute because it all forms a beautiful ripple effect and not only with these young ones you know they will start being mentors because they're now thinking about the impact or their footprint. And so it has that ripple effect with their friends and their whanau. And, you know, that's very cool. Yes, it is that intergenerational thing. And as you say, it is a massive problem per se, but it's good because it's kind of hit us in the face. So it's really time to stop. I was involved in the campaign for marine protection for the Ross Sea and it's like and they promised that they would create more and over the that was back in 2016 it was the first one granted in Antarctica and here we are six years on where they're still saying that they need scientific evidence and excuse my French but professor how much more bloody evidence do you need you know it's just act do something stop bloody talking about it and get on with it and I just love the impetus behind your initiative none of us can do this alone and it need not involve money to get it going but it's actually about creating that enthusiasm in people Mm. to recognize they are a valuable part on creating this amazing world yeah beautiful yeah I mean another thing is these Kids picked up that, you know, they'd look at rubbish. And I was talking to them around, you know, why do you think people, you know, litter and, you know, they named, you know, like laziness or, yep. you know, money, et cetera. And then I sort of went down a few layers and I said to them, you know, that if you're in survival mode or you're in a space that you're actually not feeling hopeful, then, you you know, you don't sort of care so much. And I said to them, do you think, you know, that we live in a time that's hopeful? And without any hesitation they said no so here I am speaking to some really beautiful you know it was a very uplifting experience but without any hesitation they do not believe that we're in a hopeful space at the moment and you know that's ah you know yeah and so once again you know it's like you said we all have absolute every one of us is hugely valuable we're all connected and we're all part of the whole by you know getting out into the environment and doing it as a collective, you know, you get that connection with each other and humanity. My ancestor was knighted after all his work in the polar regions, and the family motto is hope lightens difficulties, which has always sat well with me. Jane Goodall is a, a woman who I look up to because she has and still does hold a lot of hope. Uh, it is a big problem, but as she says you know, just turning off a light switch can make an impact. And it's for people to recognise and honour the small acts that they do, do make an impact. And 
you know, she is now in her late 80s, I think, 88 or something like that. And David Attenborough is another one who celebrated his 96th birthday. You know, they must have seen massive changes, but both are very humble, grounded people. And I guess it getting quite frustrated now after so many decades of seeing the repercussions of what we've done, how it was at the beginning of their um, careers and how it has changed now. And it's like, just get on with it. Unfortunately, um, for most of us, unless it impacts on our directly backyard, we are oblivious, whether it's through ignorance or arrogance. But I think, like you say, it's with the youngsters. A lot of people don't or have are not aware of it. Um, So it is that ignorance is a huge part. And actually reaching out to them and saying, we need your help, your valuable, your input, whether it's physical, mental or in whatever way, because everybody has something that they can contribute. It doesn't have to be physically. It could be monetary. It could be getting out there and volunteering. It could be doing something like myself something like you leading initiative it doesn't have to be big and we don't have to single-handedly change the world we can do it collectively Kia yeah I think the other one of the challenges here in Aotearoa is also that we're pretty green looking you know we all look out the window and think you know what are you talking about when you look outside it looks green and it looks healthy and that's part of the issue you know if we were looking outside and seeing you know the demise and collapse around us we might go ah but because it actually looks okay it's quite challenging to get people to understand that it's might look green but it's actually not that healthy that's mm, mm. so a big education thing I think the likes of David Attenborough has has shown how over the years it's how things have actually changed and pollution is a big one and as you were saying with the interaction with the youngster at Green Bay it's the water bottles, the soft drinks and the pies and everything else like that. That's just one person that you touch. He's going to talk to his mates. And if he buys one less bottle or buys one less pie, you know, it, it does have a huge impact. So what are your mm-hmm. personal aspirations for the project? My personal aspirations is that they are, you know, implemented into strategy and planning. So people can pick up North and Regional Council's strategy for the next 10 years and see their voice in there. And that people, that our communities are empowered to address the issues that have been raised, that we actually see a tangible difference on the ground, you know, that our waterways become more swimmable rather than less. Is there somebody, a book and or a person that has influenced your life? And if so, how? I have to really think about that one. I do, I'm influenced and read by a lot of different people. I think probably a book that stands out most for me is called Conversations with God. Ah, Neil Donald Walsh. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, I read it in my mid-30s and I was going, well, I'd just been through a really traumatic time and it blew out (laughs) a whole lot of belief systems that I'd grown up with. And yeah, it was probably life-changing, actually. It set me on my path, actually, about how do I give back and be part of a community. Mm -hmm. Because he didn't make the changes or recognise it himself till he was in his early 50s. It's funny that I had a great aversion to the word God because I went to a convent and they weren't very godly in their mannerisms. Just let's just put it like that. <laughs> and the girlfriend recommended Neil's book to me and, and it really put me off. But probably about 15 years ago now, you know, I braved it. And he's of the same 
Temperament as mm-hmm. Jane Goodall and David Attenborough. And another one that I would like to honour is uh, Ken Robinson with the education system. They just talk with passion. And I think mm-hmm. that is what is going to be so inspirational for the people of Northland to have someone like yourself leading this project because it comes from the heart. And that's what mm-hmm. we need to be doing is touching people's hearts. Thank you. And yes, exactly. That's where our hope comes from, eh? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Do you have a favourite quote that inspires you to keep going? Yep. One (laughs) I've had for a very long time, and it's if we keep doing what we've always done, we'll keep getting what we've always got. That one is incredibly motivating because, you know, once again, we look at strategy and I look at what government's doing at the moment, and it's the same thing often, just presented in a different way. We've actually really got to be brave at the moment and do some really courageous just test pilot it, but you know we need to be doing differently and we need to get back to the basics and I think mm. it's about not being scared either because if it doesn't mm. work at least we know it doesn't work and we can adjust that's the important thing totally. and I think we've yeah. become so centered on succeeding and progressing and things and we've got this measurement that measures people and things like that but actually it's all a load in my words a load of bollocks because which is the title of the book that I'm writing life's a load of balls because it's it's all these conditions that we've been filled up with that we have to really start questioning as to how important they are to us and collectively totally and that's what comes back to the book I've just realized you know, a whole lot of things that I was led to believe, and with good intention, yep. actually turned out that they needed to go. The lovely thing is, because I turned 60 at the latter part of last year, so I'm an official crone now, and it's like I can own my wisdom. I'm sure life always deals um, certain things, but I want people to have the confidence to speak up for themselves, really, which hmm. is important. Yeah, especially when you're going against mainstream. We're not going against it, but you've got a different view. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What do you do when you're in a funk? A surprise, surprise, I get out into the nature. (laughs) I I kind of guess you'd say that. (laughs) Is is there any particular part of Northland or a part of nature that Uh, really inspires you? um, I love the coastline, so a lot of time by the water. Although I, um, I've just recently moved down to Carmel, actually, so I'm enjoying doing a lot of the walks, and it's just beautiful. But, yeah, um, sort of beaches, and, I mean, there's just so many, actually. Yeah, we're, we're so blessed here in Northland. You don't have to go very far to get to a beach or a piece of land or something, like, and it's continuously green, which definitely fills you up. If I was your fairy godmother, and I grant you, you the wish to change one thing in the world, what would it be and why? This is a big one. I'd love to see our ancient ways come back. You know, a time when humanity and nature flowed in harmony together and that all was recognised that it was all connected. Beautiful. Yeah. No wonder you're doing what you're doing then. Yeah. I think the energy is still there, but we've lost the knowledge. Well, it's, you know, and, and our Indigenous people from around the globe, you know, we need to celebrate. Yeah. I think it's a matter of reconnecting. I don't think we've lost it, but I think we've lost our way and Mm. it's a reason for doing it because the emphasis has been on the reason to do stuff is so that you can succeed in life and you can become an acceptable member of society. It's actually going back to basics and saying, you know, we were all born with it. We have the wisdom within us and it's just a matter of reconnecting to it. 
And maybe that's it is teaching us about how we we learn, you know, how we go within. Because you're quite right, we do carry it all within us. And nature can help us get in touch with it. Totally. Bless you. Thank you so much for your time. And I will see you next Wednesday at the Hui. Awesome. Great. Take care. Cheers. Thank you. I love my backyard and I'm looking forward to hearing what people in my community want at the meeting on Wednesday. In the meantime, here's another initiative happening here in New Zealand that you could join in with or start a movement in your own country. It's called No Mow May, which encourages people to leave their lawns alone during the month of May because it helps plants thrive and provides the essential nectar for insects. To round things off this week, I take inspiration from Khalil Gibran, who says, You give but little when you give of your possessions. It is when you give of yourself that you truly give. Next week, Richard Robbins from the conservation group Project Birdsong will be joining me to talk about the extraordinary ecological restoration of the archipelago of islands known as Ipipiri here in New Zealand. Make sure you follow or subscribe to the podcast on your preferred platform, be it Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Samsung Podcasts and my YouTube channel so you don't miss out on future episodes. And don't forget to get in touch if you have a subject or guest you'd like me to consider. My email is info at So until next week, dig deep, open your mind to a world of possibilities, live life with a generous heart and take steps to minimise waste and maximise your own potential. Mm-hmm.